Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. It is March the 29th, 2014, as we're recording this episode, but you will be listening to it on the morning of opening day 2014, when the Orioles will be playing the Boston Red Sox. I am joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Stacy Fulcomer. Stacy, how's it going? It's going good. Two more days. So the Orioles are as set as they're getting. I mean, obviously, until the surprise trade where they uh, trade like Ryan Flaherty and David Lowe to the Marlins and get John Carlos Stanton. But the, the Orioles are set other <laughs> than that, obviously. So uh, so we've got the team after a spring that felt like it would never end. I feel like I say that every spring. I just don't care about spring training. It It's really boring. It is really boring. There's not enough... I mean, we know that the results don't matter, so it's hard to care about what happens, and we can't see hardly any of it, and everyone is just, you know, giving out these positive platitudes of best shape of my life, never felt better, and nobody knows what's really happening, and then the next thing you know, Nolan Rival's on the disabled list. Yeah, like, what was it? At FanFest, he was, like, saying, oh, my neck's better than it's been in years, and then and then we go through spring training, and they're, like, vaguely alluding to the fact that he hasn't done any outfield and then it's like, oh, no, he scratched from the lineup when he was the DH. And then suddenly it's, oh, yeah. So basically, Reimold all spring couldn't play outfield because his neck hurt so much he couldn't look up for fly balls. This is happening to him all spring. And we find out basically on the last day of spring training that Nolan Reimold has been unable to look up to field fly balls. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think that the beat writers just don't think it's important? Because that seems like something that I would like to know about spring. They have certainly shown in the past that they just are not aware of things that I think are interesting. Because there was one, I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago, but it was like, and and maybe some of you remember this story, but it was like when Showalter was doing pitching fielder drills and infielder drills for like bunts, it was like he had a water polo clock at a certain time. Oh, yeah, and uh, the, the the clock would would buzz when the runner was supposed to have been to first base because it was like the average speed or maybe slightly faster of a runner to first base. So you had to field and get the ball to first base before the buzzer went off. And none of the local beat writers wrote a thing about this. It was only like a month into spring training, some ESPN person came in and was writing about Orioles spring training and wrote this in there. And it's like... I mean, I just think that's neat. And maybe every team does it. I don't know. But we had never heard a word about that. And then I read that in that article. And it's like, man, that's really cool. It's too bad there's not, like, a group of people whose job it is to tell us what's going on in (laughs) Orioles camp on a daily basis to relay that kind of information. It's really too bad. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just don't think that people care about that. I don't know. It's spring training for writers, too. Right. (laughs) And, of course, the other possibility is that – they they reporter knew it, but they didn't know it in the sense that they could write about it if it was like they knew, wink, wink, nudge, mm-hmm. nudge, but they didn't know right. on the record, which I think happens probably more often than we would think. But you never know which is which. And from the outside, it just feels like they're just missing things. And I don't know what to make of that. Anyway, Stacy and I talk way too much about Nolan Reimold at all times. We're, yeah, we're, we're kind of we sorry about like... it, especially now that this, this is basically his last chance and he's on the DL. So that's basically it for him. So uh, 
Let's just let's just play a little taps for him, and and I think we need to close the book on Nolan Reimold and, and move on with our lives. Sad, sad as I am to have to do that. Yeah, I think it would be better for everyone involved if we just. <laughs> it probably would. I hope. I hope everyone <sighs> put that has dream away. Out of the podcast, like, oh, they're talking about Reimold again. <laughs> eh, done. So here's your 2014 Orioles. Your starting rotation: Chris Tillman, Ubaldo Jimenez, Wei Yin Chen, Miguel Gonzalez, Bud Norris. How does that make you feel? I don't know how to feel about it. I think that's kind of the way, I mean, everyone feels. Yeah. It's, it's potential to be quite good, potential to be kind of a disaster. And I think that's, we'll just have to wait and see because, I mean, Tillman, you know, he's coming off his second good year, but, you know, he doesn't throw with a lot of velocity and he doesn't I don't know what it is about him even when he's getting good results he just doesn't seem that impressive to me I'm always nervous watching him because it just feels like he's like three pitches away from three home runs mm-hmm. yeah I think times. the fact yeah I think the fact that they they give up so many home runs and it's hard to like if you look at their fly ball percentage or their home run rate I mean, even the guys who've had success struggle with that. So if one other thing goes wrong, like if Tillman starts walking more guys, then we're in big trouble because he already gives up a lot of home runs, stuff like that. So I think, you know, I have high hopes for Tillman, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't as great as people think he might be. Orioles starting pitchers last year had the second lowest ground ball percentage in the American League, and they had the highest home runs per fly ball percentage in the American League. And the only team below them in ground ball percentage was Oakland, and whatever, because any fly ball out there just, like, dies. So that doesn't even matter. I know, matter that place. Yeah. So, I mean, the Orioles, the starters just always make me nervous, because, I mean, at, at best, it's going to be, okay, here's a bunch of league average guys. Which doesn't sound very impressive, but then keep in mind the Orioles were 12th in AL in starter ERA last year, and if they had just been average, they would have allowed about 80-ish fewer runs. Yeah, I mean, um, the way that the Orioles hit last year, the number of runs that they score last year, if they had league average pitching, who knows where they would have been. Like I feel like and we say that every year. It's like, well, I feel man, like we if we at least too. have league average pitchers, and and they just can't. They have yet to manage that. But you know, a lot of years we say that, but we also like in 2013. When's the last time you saw an offense like that? Yeah. You know, yeah. we never so saw I think one this like that. Really, last year was really the year that. Oh man, if only they could have. So I think I'm kind of tentatively excited about the the rotation. I think that. You know, Tillman, like we just talked about, and Jimenez, well, which one will we get? You know, we could get the guy who was a total shutdown guy, or we could get the guy who was a nightmare for two seasons in Cleveland. And we, I don't know what it's going to be. And so I know that you're not supposed to take spring training numbers into account at all, and I try very hard not to, but it's all we have to reference. And, you know, he had his troubles. <laughs> so, like... It was two seasons ago Ubaldo Jimenez had an ERA over five. That's it. That's not, the, or, the season the Orioles won the wild card, they, Ubaldo Jimenez had an ERA over five. So, I mean, that's like, that's the kind of thing that makes me nervous. 
he has at least started 30 games plus every year since 2008, but he was bad in some of those years. So that, that kind of thing makes me nervous. Right. I mean, he has very complicated mechanics based on, I don't really understand pitcher mechanics. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but based on what I've read, he has complicated mechanics that are tough to keep on track. And when they're on track, he's awesome. And when he loses his mechanics and his velocity, then 2012 happens. So I'm nervous about him. I was happy when they signed him. I think it was a good thing to do, but I'm still nervous. And I think it, maybe it's the lot of the Orioles fan to just be nervous because really, yeah. you know, we went through some bad times, and it's it's even after having two years that were good, it's it's not that far away that it's like oh, everything's better. We're we're gonna be good for good now. It's okay. It's also really tough because even though I feel good about this team in some ways. And we have two winning seasons under our belts and things are looking up. You still have all of the so-called, you know, professionals saying that they're not going to be good this year. Like they said last year, like they said the year before. And it makes it tough to be very confident because if you are confident and then you're wrong, you're like, well, I guess I should listen to the people who said all that. I don't know. Yes, it's it's tough. And I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, but I am I am cautiously optimistic for the season, which may shock some people out there. But there's it's it's not terribly hard to imagine many things going right and the Orioles uh, enjoying success in defiance of what uh everyone on the outside expects from them, which I would enjoy if that happened. Mm-hmm, me too. So that's our thoughts on the rotation. Hopefully they can be average. I and it doesn't sound like a lofty goal to set but i mean really if they're average the team is going places it's you know that doesn't need to be the strength of the club it just needs to not be the anchor of the club that's just dragging them down if the rotation is good they can kind of protect the bullpen a little bit with our probably newly minted uh closer tommy hunter who is scary mm-hmm. not in a good way because his career OPS against lefties is 843, or lefties' career OPS against him is 843, I guess I should say. So what did it, he gave up 11 home runs last year, and all of them were to left-handed batters. Yes, and one of them was to Muninori Kawasaki, So his only home run since he came to America. Was it really? I'm pretty sure it that's, is. Yes. That's, uh, that's something. That's Tommy Hunter, new Orioles closer. <laughs> I mean, oh man, you're absolutely him. right about that I know. Kawasaki thing. That is, that is something. I think that he's never even hit one in the uh, minors. No, hasn't. <laughs> That's Tommy Hunter. That's why we're nervous. Yes, I think you know Tommy Hunter transformed himself when he went to the bullpen, but he hasn't fixed that little problem with lefties yet. Yes, and he is not. And if he never does, then there's going to be a lot of going boom. Or, yeah, to the time he goes boom, we'll maybe replace uh, the hold on to your butts battle cry from the Jim Johnson days. I haven't decided if that's going to keep going or not. On the one hand, there's tradition, but on the other hand, sometimes you got to find something new. I, I haven't decided which way we're coming down on that. I guess it's going to depend on how good or bad Tommy Hunter is. If yeah, maybe he'll be if great. He's, if he's good, then there will be no reason to say that. And if he's bad, I'll be tempted to. Yeah, I just think that his his 
career speaks for itself. <laughs> and it's hard to just, you can't just change. Suddenly you're pitching in the ninth inning. Suddenly you're going to be able to get lefties out. So any team that has lefties on the bench or in the lineup, I mean. Right, they're coming how, in. How can you not throw them at Tommy Hunter they're in the ninth inning? They're coming in against Tommy Hunter. I guess if there's one good thing, his he gets more strikeouts and he hardly ever walks anybody. Mm-hmm. That's true. So that's uh, so Jim Johnson. Oh no, actually, I just looked, and Jim Johnson and Tommy Hunter had basically the same strikeouts per nine innings rate last year. But Tommy Hunter does not walk a lot of guys, so at least it won't be that for the most part, probably, unless he's bad. But I hope he's not bad. Fourteen walks in eighty-six in the third innings for Tommy Hunter last year. That's not many walks, which is nice. Because, again, thinking of not far removed from, say, Kevin Gregg, I, I, I hate myself that I've even spoken that name on this show. Again, I just want to move on from him. Yeah, I think, you know, what we just have to kind of cross our fingers for is that he doesn't have a whole lot of one-run saves that he that he needs to get, you know. Right, because he's Orioles literally be one good. pitch away from game tied, hmm? even in a, you know, bases-empty situation at all times. So if the Orioles can get him a three-run lead, sure. I I think Tommy Hunter can protect a three-run lead. Many no people problem. probably can protect three-run. Mm-hmm. So I, we'll see. There's only the only way to find out is to see what happens. Yep, and that's another thing to kind of have anxiety, but also be looking forward to. Rest of our bullpen, Darren O'Day. I enjoy him. I hope he is as good as last year. That's about all there is to it. He's another guy where it seems like. It's kind of smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's the side armor thing. It just seems like it only has to hang a little bit, and then he's getting hit a lot. That's true, but you know, he—he, he, well, I was surprised actually when I looked at his numbers for last year. They were better than I remembered because I think he had a couple kind of really bad times. You know, and that's what I stick in my memory. Like you said, like if his if he's not quite there, then he's bad. Even though he was really he was very good last year, he just had some troubles. You know, and so uh, he regressed from 2012 because they all had to, obviously. But I'm very confident in him. Very confident, generally speaking. And I'm glad he's not the closer because. We don't want a guy who's good against everyone necessarily to be the closer because you need those guys in to hold down a lead when there's runners on. They need to come into the fire situations in the seventh Mm -hmm. or eighth inning too. Yes, Mm -hmm. and I hope O'Day can be that guy. But I think he can. I think he's proven he can. Yes, and maybe there won't be many problem situations because people like Brian Mattis or Zach Britton, the lefties of the bullpen, will Mm -hmm. not get into problems. We can dream. And always hope. Zach Britton looked good in the spring. Obviously, spring is whatever. doesn't matter, but he looked like he found some new velocity when he was just throwing for one inning at a time. And, you know, lefty hitting 95 on the regular is pretty exciting, even if it is just in relief. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know, you know, if Zach Britton's ever going to be a starter again, but the, there's no place for him in the Orioles rotation. So I think... You know, maybe he can be a guy who's good out of the bullpen. I'm kind of looking forward to it based mostly on his velocity in spring training. If that's how he's going to throw, because, you know, he's a lefty, but he's not a guy who 
I mean, even though he pitched poorly, he was never a guy who was especially bad against right-handed batters, the way Brian Mattis is or something like that. So I think that he can be used kind of in, in a lot of situations in the bullpen. And maybe this is his new career. This is his rebirth. The Orioles have had some luck turning their failed starters into relievers, and more power to them for that because, I mean, really, you know, turning Mattis into a reliever instead of continuing to throw him in the rotation was one of the things that helped him down the stretch in 2012. It's like, well, he's he's not going to be a starter, so let's put him in the bullpen. And then he was pretty much lights out against lefties, at least until game three of the ALCS, but or the ALDS, excuse me. Yeah, we didn't make it that far, buddy. Yeah, but... Uh, Sadly. You know, he, he was part of the reason they got that far. Mm-hmm, definitely. And that was, you know, that was an asset they did not have before. Ducat was just like, eh, let's put him out there. And if, you know, if Zach Britton can do the same, great. Speaking of failed starters, we got Josh Dinson in the bullpen there. I don't know that we yeah, can call you know. him a failed starter for the Orioles because he didn't you know, he wasn't a bad starter for the Orioles. He only started, what, one game last year? Mm-hmm. But. He's, yeah, he's been a starter in the minors for, pretty, I think, pretty much all of his, his career so far. And he's out of options, just like Zach Britton. So he had kind of a leg up in the competition in spring. So he looked pretty good last year. You know, one thing I noticed when I was uh, pulling up the numbers was that even though he had, he was pretty good last year, if you're someone who subscribes to um, FIP, fielding independent uh then it was quite a bit higher like it was like over five and he only had like a low three era out of the bullpen last year so it's only 11 games very small sample size so that could mean nothing or it could mean that he'll be gone uh kind of soon yeah because if he's bad and he's out of options then any of these guys who are who perform poorly and are out of options i think could find themselves uh on the scrap heap for instance when 25 games go by and Troy Patton mm-hmm. is activated mm-hmm. from the restricted list for being suspended for being a bad boy for the second time getting caught with uh, Adderall in his system. Yes, I think Stinson is probably a prime candidate for that. I mean, really anyone who's bad, but I think he doesn't really have the kind of track record that some of the other guys do a little bit. He and uh, Evan Meek. Right. The Orioles have not invested a whole lot in those guys, so it's not like... You know, but like either Mattis or Britain. I mean, Duquette has shown he's not really a sentimental guy, but I still feel like mm-hmm. he would give pause to just completely give up on one of those guys who was at one time, you know, a big deal for the Orioles franchise, even if it was foolish to hope for those players to be anything, I guess. Yeah. And those guys also seem like, even though they, they failed as starters, they... M- Unlike um, Meek and Stinson, they might be a little bit more uh, tradable. So you might not, we wouldn't just cut them the way you might the other guys. That's true too. It certainly seemed like, for whatever reason, they were sticking with Mattis as starting spring training games. When, I mean, I mean, what do I know? But I, I figured there was about a zero percent chance he was started as a starter for the Orioles. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, were they showcasing him as a trade chip or what? I don't know. This is weird. Yeah, I mean, that has to be part of it because, you know, either that or just anticipating some kind of major injury, 
you know, just a kind of emergency backup plan if something happened. But to me, Brian Mattis isn't even sixth on the list. I know. So I know. Because you got to figure, know. like, Kevin Gossman is sixth on the list. Mm-hmm. There's a guy I'm excited about. He's got his new glasses. He's ready to go. I hope. Yep. I think that, you know, he's, a, he's an easy guy to get excited about. And I can't believe that all this time he needed glasses. How does that even happen? I mean, I know he was wearing contacts, but apparently not all the time because they bothered him and no one bothered to say anything. I don't really know. But, hey, he's got the he's he's the four eyes now and he can go get them. The Orioles needed a good uh, four eyes. Yeah, I think obviously I'm a little biased since I've been a nearly lifelong four eyes myself. But it would be nice to nice to have one to claim as our own. Yes, my husband is in the same boat. He's very excited about a possible stud pitcher who is also representing the Four Eyes community. Now, it's not as cool as, say, if he had, like, Rex Specs, but since we're not in the 1990s anymore, I guess, <laughs> I don't know that Rex Specs exists anymore even, but I will always fondly remember those things. Because don't you know if, you already mentioned him, so the last Four Eyes pitcher that we had was... Kevin Gregg. Yeah, I was trying to steer the runner away from reminding <laughs> everyone about him, but now it's like we've uh, we've named him once, and now he's stuck in the podcast. Kevin Gregg. We're gonna need to get an exorcist in here. So I guess there's our meandering discussion of the pitching staff, and you know what? It makes me nervous, but I feel like if they can at least just kind of hold up their end of the bargain and let the lineup do its thing, the team should be going somewhere. It's not terrible. Of course, one of the problems last year wasn't even just that the starters that they started out with were bad. It was that some of them got hurt, and then we had to shuffle through the likes of Freddy Garcia and then go out and you know trade for like Bud Norris, for instance. So if those things are better, or if their replacement options in the minors are better, then, I mean, that's a good thing. I don't know. I just don't know. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm I'm hopeful but I'm nervous and I keep going back and forth. I feel like I'm I got some split personalities going on just in 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 this podcast. Uh I guess that always happens. I don't know. I think that's normal for this kind of team. I think that there's probably a few other teams out there whose you know fans are feeling the same way. You know, there are very few, you know, you have your teams that are going to be terrible. You have your Astros fans and then you have kind of you know, your Red Sox fans, your Dodgers fans, who kind of are pretty, you know, confident. And then in between, there's a lot of people where things need to go right. And we have the pieces, you know, on the team. And it's just a matter of if they, you know, live up to their potential or not. So our lineup, I'm guessing since the last lineup of spring training was this, uh, will end up being the regular season lineup. But maybe, maybe Showalter will throw a curve. But anyway, we had... Um, oh, but it'll be different because the opening day start was a lefty. Whatever. Here's here's what may be a starting lineup early in the season. Nick Markakis in right field, leadoff. Left fielder David Lowe batting second. Adam Jones third in center. Chris Davis cleanup first base. Nelson Cruz batting fifth, designated hitter. J.J. Hardy batting sixth at shortstop. Matt Wieters batting seventh at catcher. Ryan Flaherty batting eighth at third base. And Steve Lombardozzi batting ninth at second base. That lineup possibly is going to have a lot of home runs, is one thing, mm-hmm. which has been an Orioles hallmark in 
recent years, even before Chris Davis hit his 53 home runs last year. Yeah, a lot of home runs, not too many walks. That's uh, that's probably true, and it's probably going to make me sad and frustrated at many times throughout the season, but that's who they are. Supposedly, mm-hmm. uh, Duquette told the radio guys uh, in one of those last spring training games he liked that the team had been walking more in spring training, but that seems like one of those spring training things that doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah, until I see it in some real games, I don't really know that I'm going to believe that that that's a thing. I do think that if Nick Markakis comes back to kind of close to his previous form, that'll be a huge boost because he was always, you know, the guy who at least could take a walk, who at least could get on base. And even last year in his like most ridiculously horrible year, his on base was still higher than a lot of guys on the team. So it was low for him. But so if he can get back to that, I think that'll be a kind of a big boost to the lineup. And, of course, if Matt Wieters is only slightly less terrible offensively, that's a mm-hmm. nice boost to the lineup. I don't know what the chances are of that happening, but it's... Uh... He can't be... I don't know. I think... I don't think he'll be as bad as last year, just because he doesn't... I mean, he looked terrible last year at the plate. He looked... He looked terrible. Especially when he was batting. I want to say left-handed was his bad side. Mm-hmm. It was. It was bad. But he, you know... A 287 on base percentage. He's he has yet to have a high on base percentage in the majors, but 320 is not, you know, too much to ask. I don't think, and that would still be like what 45 points higher than he was last year. So I think that that's definitely the realm of possibility. Even though, and I, that's just based on his past performance. Versus right-handed pitching as left-handed batter last year, Matt Wieters, 401 plate appearances, 214 batting average, 270 on-base percentage, 358 slugging percentage. Yeah, that's not... Mm. That's bad. And you see more righties than lefties, so... I'll tell you more. Look, 401 plate appearances against righties and only 178 against lefties. Yes, that's exactly right. So, I mean... what? Three times as many plate appearances, all, no, not three times, twice as many, a little bit over twice as many. And so he has to, if he can't, I mean, he's never been as good against righties in his career, but he, that was a pretty, the biggest split we've seen yet, I think. Um, Yeah, if you look at, well, yeah, if you look at his, he never has any power, it looks like, against righties, but he at least was able to get on base some more against righties in the past, so... People have called for him to quit switch hitting, but I don't know how realistic that is. He's never. When's the last time he faced a right-handed pitcher batting? Yeah, that's one of those things that it seems like it's easy to say, and it would be a lot different in practice. Like, like maybe he would have to work on it and work on it and work on it because it will look 100% different to him. Like, I don't know if that would be something that he should do or not. Who I don't know, but he's got to pick it up a little bit rest of the lineup jj hardy this could be the last year of jj hardy as an oriole i know that probably makes you sad stacy that does make me sad i mean it it makes me sad well first because you know that i love him but also if he does leave and they move manny to shortstop that could be wonderful because manny could be amazing but then who's gonna play third base are they gonna go out and sign a free agent play third base they don't have anyone i mean maybe scope if he's good this year could 
I don't know. It, it makes me nervous losing him because he's a hard guy to replace. Not only because I love him, but also because he's a hard guy to replace. It's true. So hopefully they, I hope they, I know a lot of people don't hope that they extend him, but I hope that they do. I would like to see that this year. Yeah, it, it really depends on what kind of money it would take there, I guess. And I don't know. I don't know how that stuff goes. I mean, sometimes it seems like they're in the, the whole baseball world is insane with money. Like, just, just as a brief non-Orioles digression here, that Miguel Cabrera thing. Like, mm-hmm. what what on earth are the Detroit Tigers doing with that? I don't know. They can give him potentially over $300 million for the next 10 years and won't sign Stephen Drew. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera is already signed for this season and 2015. He will be in the first year of his next contract. He will be 33 years old. He's a big dude. He's already been like busted for DUI and swigging the bottle like in front of the cop whatever the story was there. And then they've added eight years on top of that. His contract will expire when he is 40 and I am also 40. And it's like 30 million a year at the end. It's not even like it's front loaded. Yeah, it's going to, it could really, could really come back to hurt them. I mean, I guess, you know, the Tigers have been good for a while now, but they haven't won a World Series yet. Even Since, if they're you know, 84 or whatever. Yeah. So maybe if they're banking on if if he gets them to helps them get to a couple World Series in the first five years of that contract, then they're willing to eat it. But that is so much money. Even if they are like, OK, it's win now mode. They have him for two more years. Mm hmm. OK, so that's our Miguel Cabrera rant. And of course, that'll probably drive up the price for like everybody else. Chris Davis. Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as JJ goes. Not him, because they're not he's, the same right. player. He signed a he signed a pretty you know team friendly deal with the first time he extended with the Orioles, and I think a lot of that had to do with his injury history. He was tired of being traded every year, stuff like that. But now he's had you know this will be his third year, and if he stays healthy this year, that's three healthy years basically, where he's been a very high performer, and he will be in demand if he hits the free agent market. And I don't know if he's willing to get locked up without seeing what's out there. And I wouldn't blame him if he was. I mean, if, wasn't, if I but... was J.J. Hardy, I think I would be looking pretty hard at that contract St. Louis gave to Johnny Peralta. He's got four years, $53 million with all of his issues. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you got to feel like Hardy's <laughs> worth at least that. And or I mean, in, that's, or, and in that's the range even, of that anyway. That's not even an outrageous contract. I don't think $13 million a year is not outrageous for someone you know, who who can play such a tough position so well. But that's still four years, and I'm not sure how old J.J. is, but that would take him kind of into his the start of the end. J.J. For will be older. 32 in August. Okay. So they signed him to four years, and they'd have him through, what, his year 36, and that's kind of old for a shortstop. It is. So of course, they could always do the switcheroo and put him at third and Manny at shortstop, which... I, I wonder if they would have done that for this year if it wasn't for uh, Machado's knee injury. You know, it's hard to say. It's it's tough because, I mean, obviously Manny is very talented defensively, but the way that he played third base, even though shortstop was a tougher defensive position, the way that he played it, how could you ever 
not want him there. Like he was just so otherworldly at third base last year that, I mean, it didn't sound like they were thinking about, I mean, obviously he, of course he was hurt before the year ended. So maybe that's why, but didn't, I didn't hear a peep about that. So I don't know. All I hear is that they want to keep JJ and, you know, it probably hurts Manny's value a little bit, but if it keeps the team good, in in the end, I care about the Orioles' value because mm-hmm. it's not like he's a trade ship. It's not like oh, we gotta showcase Manny Machado as a shortstop so that we can trade him in two years. You know, we're beyond that kind of loser talk. Gotta trade him before he gets expensive. Whatever. Nope. Not anymore. We're beyond that. Well, speaking of guys who it could be their last years, an Oriole, Nick Markakis. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think of him, but I hope he's better. I have high hopes. I have high hopes for Nick this year. He'd have to be pretty friggin' good to earn getting picked up the $17.5 million option for 2015. You know, I can't even imagine a scenario where they pick that up. I can't. Like, I feel like even if they want to keep Nick around for a few more years, they will try to, you know, pay off his option and then re-sign him to another deal. Because $17 million for Nick Markakis, are you... I mean, he if he was still the guy that they signed to that big contract in the first place, sure. But he hasn't been that guy for, what, six years now? So I don't – I think that he could still be a valuable member of the team, just not at that price. But as far as 2014 goes, I don't know. I feel good. I feel like maybe last year, based on the way – things that he said and the way he came to spring training with his – big muscles. I feel like he kind of had a wake up call last year, you know, and I'm hoping that's the case and maybe he'll, you know, finally be back to something, at least his, maybe not 2008, but maybe 2010 or one other, one of his other good years that weren't last year, you know, to, to pull one out of the bag of cliches, we're coming up on time for the rubber to hit the road. And uh, I, I hope it's good news with, with Mark Higgins. The rest of the outfield, uh, Adam Jones, I'm not worried about. He is what he is, and mm-hmm. it's frustrating, but he's also pretty good. Very talented. Nelson Cruz will apparently be in the outfield more than I would like. I don't know what to think of him. I, like when I when I'm feeling optimistic, I want to think, well, imagine he had a good year in 2013 with 27 home runs in 109 games. Knowing the biogenesis stuff was going on. So you'd think maybe he would be trying to be under the radar and not be getting caught with something in his system while they were already investigating biogenesis. Yeah, I maybe. can't imagine he was on anything last year. So, I can't even. So, I mean, that that sounds pretty good, having a guy who hit that many home runs in, in the, a shortened season bombing him out in Camden Yards. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can do that more as a designated hitter and not be bombing them when it's line drives coming at his face in the eighth inning or the ninth inning or the world series. Well, you know, right. I have to think that even if they play him in the outfield, which they will, of course say Buck Showalter is a smart man. He's not going to leave him out there in the ninth inning in a close game. I don't think. Right. Like let's say where the Orioles have the lead. Just batted in the last half inning, and it's like the eighth inning, and the Orioles have the lead, and you know, put David Lowe out there or whatever. Mm Mhm. I mean, it makes sense to me, and I think it makes sense to everyone. It's a very, you know, if it's worth it to have him in the outfield 
for lineup purposes, that's fine. But, you know, you have to make a decision late in the game. You don't want a ball sailing over his head and giving the team a loss. So, Well, there are outfielders. They're sort of listed as outfielders, but I don't actually want to see them in the outfield. Include Steve Pierce and Delman Young, which... Why are those guys both on the team? I don't know because they're basically they're have redundant. the same skill set. Uh, of course, Delman Young. There's many uh, off the field issues to not care for him very much as a result of him going through those. But he's on the Orioles now, so you know, I hope he uh, hope he hits some home runs and then doesn't get arrested while he's on the Orioles. That is an excellent... Uh, I, I, I mean, think. really, I have that hope for everybody on the team. Hit some home runs and don't get arrested <laughs> while they're on the it's Orioles. too much but, to ask. But uh, I, I feel like I have the most reason to be concerned <laughs> with Delman Yeah, I think I think that for the most part, you know, we'll we'll see those guys when there's a left-hand... Uh, yeah, a left-handed batter, a pitcher, excuse me, up. You know, I think Pierce hits lefties really well. Young hits them... All right, you know. So let's, I think let's not be too uh, excited talking about young hitting things or people. I, that's um, getting into shade so, around there. I've, yeah, it seems like in the past they they have an extra kind of outfield DH than they normally do this year. And I think even if it had been Pierce and Reimold, it still would have been kind of redundant. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's better than like having an extra crappy second base shortstop or whatever. Yeah, I guess because you know you have Flaherty on the roster who can play every position in the infield. And you have Scope, who can play second and third, and you have Lombardarzi, who can play second in the outfield. And so you kind of, the the infielders on the team are pretty versatile at this point. So I guess it makes sense to have this kind of guy, you know, hitter on the team. But I hope, I think, and I hope that we'll see more of Pierce against lefties, and Young will be kind of more of a bench I, I mean, I guess the fact that they're redundant, well, if you're looking at Manny Machado's, hopefully his rehab will be going well and he'll be back, <laughs> then, oh, hey, look at this. There's two redundant guys. I guess one of them can get shipped out. I don't know if that's what will happen, but, I mean, you know, if Machado, yeah, I don't Machado know. is eligible to come off the DL for, I think, the sixth game of the season. Uh, so, I mean, if that happens, which I don't know if it will, then that's, that's you know, why even worry about Steve Pierce and Delman Young if one of them is about to get DFA'd? In like a week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more likely that either Scope or Lombardazzi or Flaherty will be gone. But That's a very good point. And it depends on if they have absolutely no use for one of those guys and he's just been rotting on the bench for two weeks or something, then they could get rid of him. Who knows? But Speaking of Jonathan Scope, their, their described situation for him seems pretty weird to me because it was uh, supposedly he's going to platoon at second base with Lombardozzi and at third base with Flaherty. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing there. I would like him to play mostly every day. I think, and I don't. Yes, and I hope that he he will. In my kind of perfect scenario, which uh, we've already talked about a little bit, but in my perfect scenario, uh, it'll be uh, Scope as the regular second baseman, Flaherty as the regular third baseman. But if there's a lefty pitching that they don't want Flaherty to face, since Flaherty is a left-handed hitter who doesn't hit left-handed pitchers very well, then Scope can go over third and let Lombardazzi play second. You know, I don't want it to be kind of, I don't want Scope to miss time. And I was listening to the ball game the other night when Dan Duquette was on the radio with uh, Joe Angel and Fred Manfra, and they were c- trying to get info about Scope, you know, trying to to find out if he was going to make the team. It was before 
we found out for sure. And you kept, just kept saying, we want to put him, we want to give him an opportunity to play every day. We want him to play every day. But he kept saying that they want him to play regularly wherever he is. And it's, you know, it sounded like he was going to be in the majors. So I'm hoping based on that, he will be playing every day. If he's not going to be playing every day here, then he shouldn't, he should be in AAA. I would like it if he was good enough to play every day in the major leagues. I, I don't know how likely that is, but it would be cool if if, uh, if it happened. Well, you know, he has the opportunity right now with, uh, you know, we would all prefer that Manny Machado was not injured, but Manny Machado is injured. And so that has given Scope an opportunity to show what he's got. And if he looks completely in over his head, then that's that's fine. Maybe he just needs more time at AAA and then they can send send him down. But if he looks great, then... You know, see a Flaherty or Lombardazzi or whoever. The number 82 ranked prospect by BaseballProspectus.com heading into this season. Uh, he's only 22 years old, and he missed some time last year with a, what was it, like a stress fracture in his back. In so his back. That's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, he just needs to make it up, I guess. But then it's like, well, then you're a little nervous because... If he's got back problems uh, once, I don't, I don't want him to have more back problems. Yeah, he only played, what, 70 games last year, and and it was his first time at AAA, and his numbers were not great. So it could it could be that he, he needs some more time down there. And I think, based on who you talk to, some some of the our fellow writers in the blogosphere also think that. But I think there's no harm in, in giving him the chance right now and seeing what happens. I'm totally on board. I hope he's at second base on opening day. I don't know if he will be. I mean, what? Because it's going to be. Uh, he's a righty, and Lester's a lefty. I think he'll right, be at third. So. I think he'll be at third base on opening day. That's right, because Flaherty is the lefty, mm-hmm. so that would be cool. Hopefully, he'll be good, uh, and then Manny will come back and be good, and maybe they'll all be good. This is great analysis here, but no, the scope. <laughs> Scope should play every day, and I hope they realize that. I think they do. I mean, Stacy and I, like before we said, started recording, we were saying, yes, they're smarter than us, uh, although they're occasionally a mystery. Their way is inscrutable. That's just how much smarter than us they are. This, we cannot even understand the, the, the plane on which they exist. Just pillars of intellect beyond our comprehension. Or something. Um, there's a lot of Steves on this team. Just, 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 uh, just to, for anyone who hasn't noticed, there's three Steves right now, and then Steve Johnson on the 40-man roster in Norfolk. Yeah, it's a whole lot of Steve. Team Steve is is a real thing this year. Two of them are from Maryland, because Lombardozzi is from Columbia, I believe, mm-hmm. and then uh, Clevenger went to one of those Baltimore private hoity Mount Saint Joe. Yeah. Yep, he is from Pigtown, Pride of Pigtown. So that's pretty cool, because, I mean, you always got to like a local guy who comes. And, and then, of course, you got Steve Johnson on the 40 Man, who is grew up around here. Yes. So, so that, you know, there's local guys of- and, Steve, and local Steves uh, to root for, <laughs> in particular, on the Orioles. But this lineup should be good. I, I don't have a whole lot of worries about most of the spots in the lineup. Chris Davis probably not going to hit 53 home runs, for instance, but... I mean, I think he's going to hit 40 or more. Yes. If if you're a degenerate gambler or any kind of gambler, his over/under on home runs is 39 and a half. So you can 
bet the over on that if you think he's going to hit 40 or more. And if you're not so confident, you would take the under, I guess. I would take the over on that. I think I would take the over also. I would be, uh, I don't know how good I would feel about it after if he has like an April slump or something, but hopefully he doesn't. I think it's it's fair to say that he will be in the neighborhood of 40. It seems definitely. That seems to be the case to me also. And, uh, you know, that's still a pretty, pretty awesome home run season. Yeah. If you're, if you're over 40, I mean, I don't even remember the last time somebody was over 40 before Chris Davis last year. But it's it must have been a while. Yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Like, I guess the the thing is, he was just so good, it's almost like, well, I hope we don't expect that again and then be disappointed if he's still pretty good. He's, let's, let's face it, he's probably not going to be the third-place MVP guy again. But he still should be one of the better players in baseball. Just to get a little provincial ESPN ranting, I wanted, they had their uh, this year. I guess they they scaled it back instead of doing the Baseball Tonight top 500 players in MLB. They only did top 100, and Chris Davis was like number 28 or something. It's like really, I think he's going to be better than 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 the number 28 player in baseball. Yeah, I think he will be, but. Who knows? I mean, it's it's tough because he was good in 2012, but he I mean, he was good, but he was not anything like 2013. So he doesn't really have the track record. And so even though I think the the reasons that he's better seem very real and legitimate, you know, if you if you look at his hitting and his plate discipline and all that stuff, but he still doesn't have the track record. So I can see why they don't. Okay, he was the number 34 player on the ESPN uh, top 100 players for this year. I, I don't. Eh. I mean, maybe I'm just being a homer, but I think, I think that's low. And just FYI, the last 40-plus home run season for the Orioles was Rafael Palmero in 1998. Wow! So there you go. And they've only had five in the entire uh, franchise history. So. Of course, one of those, I guess, was Brady. Mm-hmm. Let's and get... Frank Robinson, Jim Gentile. So each had one season with 40 or more. So there you go. So uh, so 40 so tough. So if he gets 40 plus again, that would be the the first player in Orioles history to have two 40 mm-hmm. plus seasons. Then that's what it looks like. So there you go. That would be uh, would literally be a historic achievement for the franchise in this 60th uh, anniversary season. So that would be pretty cool then. Yeah. On the subject of Vegas over unders, by the way, uh, the the Orioles. Win total over under is 80.5 wins, which is uh, absurdly low. I mean, as much as I am occasionally seem like the biggest like pessimist on the Orioles ever, like it would have to be it, to me. It feels like it would have to be a disaster for this team to end up below 80.5 to to be below 500. I guess is basically what they're saying. Like a lot of things would have to go wrong with not many things going right. Yeah, like, I think instance, that's last definitely year, true. Like, a, a lot of things went wrong, but Chris Davis hit 53 home runs, and Manny Machado was basically like the best fielder ever. Mm-hmm. So that's some stuff that can go right. Yeah, and I think that you know, there's the possibility of Kevin Gossman contributing a lot. There's the possibility of you know now there we have uh, Ubaldo Jimenez and Nelson Cruz on the team, who I think make the team better. 
And so I, I think that, you know, to have a winning season is not even a, que- a question. If they have a losing season this year, I will be depressed. I mean, that would be a major bummer. And not just because all that money they spent and, you know, just, just all the expectations they've built up over the last couple of years. But, well, no, actually, those pretty much are the big reasons why. Mm-hmm. But now that winning is here, like, I don't want to leave that, you know. Right. I, I can't I go back. I don't want to be a flash in the pan. I, I cannot go back to being miserable thinking, well, like, I have to watch the Orioles game, but I know it's going to make me miserable. I can't go back to that. And, of course, Stacy and I, being the blog writers that we are, let me tell you, it's more fun writing when they're winning than when they're losing. Oh, my gosh. I can't even. Do you know, it was many years ago now. Not many, but 2010 was my worst blogging year ever. And Buck Showalter saved me. Like, even though 2011, they were still bad. Like you know, He saved us all. He he saved us. I think he it saved Camp Chat. But he his it coincides with him getting here, and I I don't even know. I don't think I would have lasted this long if without him. It's it's uh, it really did. And of course, there was an interruption of 2011, which went back to being bad. But mm-hmm. then it ended I mean, with were... that awesome moment against the Red Sox. So right, and they were bad. And then when they how many games did they win? 69, I think. 69, 68, whatever. So they were still very bad. And it was not that fun. But it was nothing like the misery of of before Book Showalter got here, in my opinion. It felt like things were maybe going to get better instead of just this, like, uh, lurching into no particular direction of before Showalter. Yeah, although maybe that's revisionist history because I remember going into the 2012 season, I was very pessimistic. The voice, very. the voice of Andrew Gibson uh, needs to chime in from Pittsburgh here to be like, "That's narrative, Mark." That's what he would say right there. That's narrative, Mark. He's probably right, but you know what? It's a pretty cool narrative, so I like it. But yeah, so it's much, much more fun, and I can't, I can't go back. Even just being a fan of the team, just even 85 wins is. So much better. I, I, and everyone I, is so much happier at, at Camden Yards, and everything is just so much better. <laughs> I looked uh, at the records of my whole life, and 85 wins was basically like the sixth best Orioles season. And I'm 30, so that was you know, 30 years of Orioles from being born right after they won the 1983 World Series on. 85 was – it was either fifth or sixth best. Yeah, they had some really good good years my first couple of years of life. You know, I was, you were old enough to pay attention. I was born in 1979, and so in 1979 and 80, they won 100 games. So, But I don't remember that. But, you know, this is – the last two years have been – two of the most fun years that I've, that I've followed the Orioles, even last year when they – you know, we knew for even though they weren't mathematically eliminated. I, mean, I think we the, knew in July they weren't. We we knew, but they but you know they still gave us that little bit of hope. Like we kind of know, but they're close enough that if something happens, they just gotta go on they, that one you know, run, and then they're right back in the picture. And the problem was they yeah, never so, went on that run. No, like, they never was did. It? Their, their, so, their season high winning streak was like five games, and they only did that one time or something yeah, they had like tr- that. But, 
still, it was still so much better of a year than pretty much most of the other years that I've been paying attention to baseball. So I, I don't want, um, have to be miserable again. And, so I, and I don't think we will uh, be miserable. I don't think we will either. I think 80, you know, over under for 80.5 is, is very low. If I were in Vegas, I would, I would bet over, you know, and. Although speaking of people who are smarter than us, I mean, Vegas is smarter than we are, but I mean, being. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, but looking at it, I'm, I like, even as much as everybody makes fun of me for being pessimistic and i wrote the article on camden chat earlier this week about worries for the season like i mean i i couldn't do that under not just because i don't want it to be true but because i don't think it will be i don't think it will be they would have to have some things go majorly wrong and i i don't think it's going to happen i think they're going to be better this year i don't know if it will necessarily reflect too much in the win total because you know, other teams have been trying to get better as well, but I don't, I think their talent level is better this year. It definitely feels like it, it should be the case. And certainly whether or not it's better talent level than last year, it should be a better talent level than 81 wins. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now speaking of the number of wins for the team, it's time for Stacy and I to, uh, I don't want to say stake our reputation because <laughs> We never do very well with it, but we're at least going to try and lock in on the team's record or what we feel like right now for what they'll be doing. So I guess I'll go first. And right now, right this second, I kind of feel like we're going to come in at the 87 wins, 75 loss range. A couple of games better than last year. Not really good enough to be still in the playoff hunt like on the last day of the season or something, but... You know, that's a pretty good season. If stuff goes way right, as it did in 2012, for instance, they could get back in there, and that'd be awesome. I don't I don't imagine enough is going to go that much way right, but it should be pretty good. That's what I think. 87. 87 wins. Well, I think last year I tried to be an, the optimist. You did. Stacy last year said 94 wins. <laughs> so that didn't quite work out as well. No, it did not. And I don't... It's hard to imagine them as a 90-plus win team this year just because, you know, even though I think they're a good team and they're talented, they are in a division with uh, the Red Sox and Rays, who are very good, and the Yankees, who are, you know, have a blood pact with Satan. So you never know what's going to happen with them. So, I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to go with 84. Oh, I'm more optimistic than you this year. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But I hope, I would love for you to be right, or I would love for neither of us to be right. I and said 83 90. last year, and they ended up being a little better than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say they're, what did I say, 84? 84. 84. Are you waffling already? Yeah. No, 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 I just, I couldn't remember what I said. 84. Oh, yeah, I've, go I've recorded it down for posterity as as <laughs> I recorded all of our stuff from last year. Last year and the year before, we had predicted playoff teams in the World Series, and uh, Stacy and I decided, really, we have no idea how to predict that stuff. And also, Terrible. we were so embarrassingly bad at it last year, we're just not going to do it anymore. Let me just let me just run down this hall of shame oh, no. for you. So, so last year, I predicted that the Blue Jays would win the AL East, the, Angel, the Angels would win the AL West, the Giants would win the NL West. And I had a World Series of Angels versus Nationals with the Angels winning. 
Stacy also had the Angels winning the NL West, Nationals winning the NL East, Giants winning the NL West, Tigers versus Nationals World Series with Nationals winning. And we do, we're just not going to embarrass ourselves in that way anymore. You said the Blue Jays were going to win the AL East. I did. East. I was buying all that stuff. I don't know why. I was buying it. and. Uh, well, everyone was selling it last offseason. Everybody was. Yeah. So I don't blame you. Yeah. Everybody was shocked by how they ended up being just terrible. So, yeah, we're terrible at that, so we don't want to do it anymore. So what we are going to try and lock in, who's going to be the most valuable Oriole? And note, that's not necessary. They, they call the award most valuable Oriole, but I don't mean who's going to win the award because sometimes they give the award to not actually the most valuable Oriole. But just in, in Stacy and I's opinion, who will end up being the most valuable Oriole, who may end up winning the award as well. So for me, I've actually been sitting here thinking about it the whole uh, hour we've been recording and... I'm going to go and say it's going to be Manny Machado because I think, or maybe I just want for him to come back from his injury very soon, continue being awesome defensively, and do a whole lot better at the plate. And if he's if he's got a good-ish bat and continues being awesome defensively, he will be the most valuable Oriole on the team. That's a bold pick. I mean, he's very, very talented, but just with his injury... That's there's a whole lot of I uncertainty. Hope you're right. I hope you're right because he is he's great. And if he is the most valuable Oriole, then that means that he came back from his injury and he was, you know, the same old Manny, maybe even a little bit better at the plate since he had a little bit of trouble there last year. Um, but for a 20 year old, it was great. So I'm going to go with I mean, obviously, I think the obvious choices are Chris Davis and Adam Jones. I think those are the guys that are the most likely if you took a poll of how many people going in, you know, they've been the guys who have won it the last couple of years and they're generally the most uh, talented guys. But uh, I want to go a little different this year. I kind of want to say Nick Markakis. Oh, now you want to call mine bold. I feel like here's, here's what I think. I do think I think he's going to be better. I think he's going to have a big year in his contract year. And I think that he's been on the team so long that I don't know. I just feel like he might feel like this is his last shot at and not that obviously you can want something as bad as you want. If you're not talented, you're still not going to get it. But I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I saw his arm and I feel like he's going to have a huge year. I think that's probably not going to happen, but. It's very iffy, but I think I would like to see that happen. So that's who I'm going to go with. So I don't want to, because I don't want to say Adam Jones or Chris Davis, because everybody would say that. So maybe it's not my most genuine pick, but it's who I'm putting down on paper. The thing about this, Nick Markakis has never been an all-star for the Orioles. He was one of the best, if not the best players early in his career. And he never managed to be picked Probably because in 2008, the lone Orioles All-Star was uh, George Sherrill. And in 2010, the lone Orioles All-Star was... Oh my gosh, they spelled it wrong on the official Orioles website list of All-Stars. Ty Wigington. (laughs) They have the extra G in there. It's like they've been listening to Jim Palmer too much. Yeah, unfortunately for Nick, I mean, you know, the All-Star game... If you're not elected, then they just kind of fill in where they need places. And the outfield is a really tough place to break in if you're not you know because there's always there's there's, so many good outfielders so you know if you look in 2008 which was Nick's best year without you know question in 2008 
you know, your outfielders for the AL were uh, Ichiro, Josh Hamilton, and Manny Ramirez. How do you argue with that? Off the top of your head. Let's see. No, I pulled it up. And then, but then if you look in the, I mean, even if you look at the, Grady Sizemore is very good then. There's just so many guys that played in the outfield who, you know, so they're like, oh, we still need a reliever and the Orioles are crappy. So George Cheryl. Yeah. I mean, so it's 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 not fair because I think there have been years when he's definitely been the best Oriole. Um, and I think that maybe he could uh, capture some of that old magic again this year in his perhaps final year as an Oriole. Well, that would be something. I feel like if, if Nick Markakis is the best Oriole, things have gone either very right or very wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I Maybe it's just my uh, my wishful thinking because... You know, Nick is the longest tenured Oriole now that Brian Roberts is gone. And he, in so many years, was the only, one of the only things we had to kind of uh, put put our hopes on. And I feel a little bit like the team has passed him by. And I don't want that because he's such a kind of a part of this era of Orioles baseball. It still makes me sad that he didn't get to play in any of the playoff games because yeah, he was injured. Yeah, that was sad. So let's do it this year. Yeah, do it. Win one for the Gipper or something. Well, I I would uh, I would enjoy if you were right, as long as that's not because everyone else it might have been stinks. <laughs> that like that would be bad. But if if he fired off, wind back the clock like it's 2008. I mean that would be something. Yeah, you know what? If he hits 20. I can't even say with a straight face, Nate Marquez says 25 home runs. What if he hits 25 home runs and 40 doubles and which isn't, I'd, you know, I'd take 20 home runs and 40 doubles. Isn't Chris Davis home run territory or even Adam Jones home run territory. But, you know, it and takes a bunch of walks because nobody does that. I mean, who knows? It could happen. Has some arm strength maybe back in, in throwing him in from the outfield and. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to harp on the arm because I know we talked about it quite a bit in the last podcast, but I mean, he's he looks ready to go. And if we're lucky, he will be. He looks like he actually may be in the best shape of his life. I could I could believe it. He was never buffed before in a way that we noticed and were impressed by. So uh, we'll we will find out what he's got. It would it would be nice if he was the most valuable Oriole or the I don't know. I, maybe that was a misleading way of saying it, since there's the award. But whatever. You know what we mean. Right. Who we and think if we're going, be the best. And if we're going for who they vote for, I feel like the writers would love to give it to Nick. Yeah, because he's like, like you the know, veteran Oriole, yeah, I think and you know, maybe, Resurgent could be his last season. He's probably more likely to get voted the, the most valuable Oriole than he is actually to, to be it, maybe. But I, I, I'm putting my faith in him. That is a bold pick, but not not completely crazy. Hopefully it doesn't look crazy in a month. Oh, it will. As, well, as when you wife. and I sit down in late March 2015 for our preseason Right, then we'll never podcast. pick Most Valuable Oriole again if these are so <laughs> terrible. We'll just cut it down to only doing record. <laughs> That's That could be what will happen. But, uh, you know... They're 33 to one to win the Earl, oh, the, the Earl, the World Series. Going back to our little Vegas interlude, you can go bet a hundred dollars and win 3,300 in November when the Orioles win the World Series. 
if whatever. Sixteen to one to win the AL, seven to one to win the AL East. None of those are great, but yeah, they're not impossible. I feel like we're we're better than was it like it was a point five percent chance of making the playoffs prior to twenty twelve. I feel like we're in way better than point five percent territory. Oh, definitely. I don't know what percent I would assign to it, but they're probably not better than fifty, but not really lower than. I don't know, 40 or something. It could happen, and that would be cool. It could happen, and that's that's all I ask at this point. You know, it's – I don't ever want to become – I mean, obviously the Orioles have a very long way to go before this would ever happen, but I don't – it doesn't seem as fun or fulfilling to expect that everything will be awesome and that's the way that it is. You know what I mean? Like I certainly appreciate it more having been through those terrible. Right. Times. And while I would certainly would rather the Orioles be good every single year and in the playoffs every single year, I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of more interesting this way. And, and so we'll see what happens. And I'm just, I'm just glad that I don't, probably won't have to count that and you know count down to not losing 100 the way we used to <laughs> right it's better than the uh the dave tremblay juan samuel era oh. the the pre-buck of 2010 dark days they were dark days there's there's a lot to be excited about and yep. occasionally i play the pessimist on this podcast and on camden chat but really i i i'm excited for the season Stacy and I will both yeah. be there on opening day. We are. Yes, we will. There's a lot of excitement. A lot of a lot of people will be there opening day. Apparently, I I don't think they've announced it as a sellout yet, but I got to imagine. I mean, it always is, right? Yeah. It, Even in the years that they're bad, it is. Yeah. So. Be in your seat by 2:30 to uh, enjoy all the orange carpet. That's so. right. You want to see Jim Hunter with his orange bow tie announcing everybody. As they even announced, like, the strength and conditioning coach of the Red Sox and everybody. Like, nobody can even summon up the energy to, like, boo the, the the bullpen catcher of the other team. But that seems to be part of the Orioles' tradition is even the other team, everybody, everybody gets introduced. Yep. And it will hopefully be just the start of another good season. It doesn't have to be playoffs, although that would be nice, but just, just a good season. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll be right about Nick Markakis being the most valuable Oriole. Maybe I'll be right about Manny Machado. We'll probably both be wrong. Hopefully the rotation isn't the worst thing about the team. Tommy Hunter will hopefully not be terrible at closing. Although at least there's other candidates if he can't. I guess the question would be how long will Buck stick with him? Yeah, that's the thing. And he's not – he's very loyal, but also Tommy's very new at that job. So it's hard to say. You know, but I, for now, I'm excited and, you know, Tommy throws 90, 98 miles an hour and it'll be exciting to watch him and just, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, I guess uh, cross our fingers and hope he doesn't pull a uh, Mike Gonzalez blow on the opening day. Why would you even say that? See, I'm doing, ah, I'm doing all the crappy <laughs> former closers. <laughs> In this podcast, it's bad. I don't know why I would say that. I, I'm ashamed of myself. I, I, you, sh- you should be. That was so bad. I Two th- days from opening day, and you're talking about that happening? I know. I, 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 I'm going to need to like go outside, turn around three times, and spit and curse, and throw salt over my shoulder, and like 
knock on wood. And yeah, this is gonna be another good season. Good I, season. I good feelings that we're gonna be not miserable, and that is good. In the end, that's all you can ask for is don't be miserable. <laughs> and uh, they they couldn't even meet that most of the time before two years ago. Out of nowhere, the misery went away, and uh, I I hope it stays away. And we'll get like, you know, just think, just think about it. Get like mid-May, maybe Kevin Gossman comes up and starts being awesome, and you know, like Hunter Harvey's rolled up through the minor leagues, so you can think, well, someday, you know, him and like Mike Wright will be your new back end, back end of the rotation kind of guy, and. I don't know who else might Hey, be. and maybe in September we'll see a little Dylan Bundy. Yeah, that's right. Bundy's coming back from the Tommy John. Uh, he's supposed to start throwing... I think he wants to be doing games like one year after his surgery. So that's like right at the end of May, I think. So maybe we'll see a little Dylan Bundy. Maybe a little Eduardo Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I think we've run through all the Orioles prospects we might see this year. but <laughs> Yes. If, if any one of them comes up and is good, that would be pretty good. So, Stacy, yep. do you have any final thoughts? I think we've probably covered a lot of stuff, but just that more. I'm very excited for the season to start, and I think we have a lot of good things to look forward to. My final thought is I hope nothing happens in the next uh, 36 hours to make us look stupid by the time <laughs> this becomes public. But uh, as, as hopefully if you're listening to this on like the morning of opening day, we have not had anything happen to uh, completely erase anything we've said and. Whatever you're Although, doing for opening day, I hope it's a good one. I hope you can uh, at least listen if you're at work, hear the game if you can't go see it, watch it maybe, and make sure to drink responsibly. I didn't have enough of a pause there, but I'm not Gary Thorne, so I, I don't <laughs> want to steal his thing. But Please drink responsibly. It's true. Get this year's commemorative Natty Bow orange can. I, don't, I haven't seen it yet, but supposedly they have a new one. So anyway, that's all we've got for tonight. We're looking forward to this season. It's a weird feeling to look forward to an Orioles season, but I, I haven't gotten used to that quite yet. But, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. So mm-hmm. We hope you're excited, too, and uh, hopefully the Orioles keep giving us reason to be excited through the spring and summer and fall, too. So that is all we have for tonight. For Stacy Folkemer, I am Mark Brown, and we are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.